Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. It's uh, been a wet one. Oh, man, has it ever. And I see that you are absolutely well-equipped for <laughs> dealing with this weather, even though your shirt is very tropical. But the yes. ski hat says all. That <laughs> <laughs> the weather here has been frightful. But what do you expect for <laughs> Michigan in mid-February? It's, it's what we get. It's what the woodchuck said that we're in for, and nothing we can do about it. Yeah, and you don't, you know, it's beautiful to go out and explore the snow. But yeah. if you don't want to, you can sit here and enjoy the radio, and hopefully you and I will have some interesting conversation today. Well, I'm sure that we will. Uh, Rick, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about when it comes to you, they know you spend a lot of time with your family, especially taking care of that beautiful grandbaby that you've got. And bottom line is, we know you spend a lot of time at Proust Pet doing what you can to help the customers there. But one of the things that you also do that people just don't necessarily know is when it comes to legislation for your industry, while it's not your day job, uh, a lot of times you get called on to panels where your expert opinion is appreciated and needed, and it can uh, – be very, very time-consuming, but you find a way to do it, and that's what you've been doing lately, haven't you? Yeah, sure. Um, this industry is really important to me, and uh, there are battles to be fought. And, uh, in fact, our guest uh, today, uh, Ryan McVeigh, is uh, a man, uh, entrepreneur, uh, individual, an engineer, um, uh, very, very passionate reptile hobbyist and uh, leading a Reptile Society over in Wisconsin, yep. uh, but he and I are on the same panel or are on the same um, legislation effort right now, and it's kind of an effort to um, take off an amendment on a bill uh, working with PJAC. PJAC is the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council, um, and we're looking forward to the community that we are part of. Uh, there's uh, the aquaculture industry. There's our industry, uh, the, the aquarium industry. Uh, there's the reptile industry. There's the um, bird and avian I- industry. All a bit concerned right now with uh, an amendment that's been tacked on to a bill. Uh, Senate passed a specific bill that uh, was there to, um, it's called the Competes Act, and it's uh, meant to kind of, rally uh, laws and procedures and such that helps us compete in a world market. Uh, and it went over to the House of Representatives. It went from a few hundred pages to a few thousand pages. And one of the um, tagged on uh, amendments on there is very concerning to our industry. We can get into that when we get a hold of uh, Ryan McVeigh and, and talk a little bit about uh, 
what he's doing, what he's up to, and um, you know, and also how he's helping out as well. Well, it's an important item for you guys to go through because as uh, sometimes can happen, uh, you set out to do something good, and unfortunately, the way you do it can have consequences. And that's one of the issues that you're contending with because sometimes it's easier to be told what not to do as opposed to be told what to do. And and that can be uh, a big issue. But we'll get into that conversation with Ryan McVeigh, who is, again, as you said, uh, the leader of the Herpetological Society in Madison, Wisconsin. And we'll have that conversation next on 1320. WILS. It's the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruce, a man possessing unparalleled animal care expertise, and Lee Cohen, who's also here. We're back here with the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Ryan McVeigh, who is uh, with the Madison, Wisconsin Herpetological Society. But more recently, he is founded and is the owner of VivTech Products. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, it's our pleasure. Ryan, the reason we wanted to have you on the show is because I've been talking with Rick, and he's been telling me about this program he's been working on in terms of trying to help the people in government to kind of understand uh, how a pet store is affected by a law that they're considering. And he mentioned that you had been involved with the same thing. So from your your perspective, tell us what's going on. What kind of trouble is the government trying to cause now? <laughs> well, it's never ending, I think, with the government. <laughs> but for this specific instance, uh, this is dealing with the Compete Act, and it's not to make it clear. It's not the whole thing. This is a that's a, a piece of legislation that's going to do some incredible things to help a lot of people. But there's four pages in it that deals with the Lacey Act. Um, and changes that they want to make to the Lacey Act, which is going to can, could greatly affect the pet industry and all of us that own pets and our abilities to keep them and and move around the country freely. So that that's what's kind of coming up, and that there's a, it, it could be a scary thing if it goes through the way that it's written right now. For those of us who don't know, can you explain what the Lacey Act is? Because I've never heard of that. So the Lacey Act was made. Uh, in I believe in the 1950s, and it was created as a way to stop invasive plants and animals from establishing in the United States. Um, so it would it would ban things that are put on the injurious list of the Lacey Act are banned from coming into the country, um, and then uh, that way it stops you know animals and, and species for, that could ruin agriculture or um, become invasive and destroy environments stops that from happening. And that's that was the goal of the Lacey Act. And then. What do you suspect the energy of this new add-on to the Competes Act is about? Why is it there? What are they trying to accomplish? And uh, what are the concerns that you're seeing? So my, the two biggest things that I think are going to be a concern is and, and we're, is, is really the two big pieces of it that I see is, one, uh, it, it bans interstate transport of species listed as injurious. 
Um, and and right now, that that came around around 2013, 2014. Um, the, uh, Fish and Wildlife may, uh, put large constrictor snakes on the Lacey Act, which made them illegal to cr- and added that it was illegal to cross state lines with them. Um, the U.S. ARC, the United States Association of Reptile Keepers, sued the government uh, over that because they they at the time did, don't actually didn't actually have the jurisdiction to ban interstate transport, and U.S. ARC won that lawsuit. So that removed the ban on interstate transport because the Lacey Act didn't actually have the jurisdiction to do that. So now that they lost that, they're working on trying to get it put back in legally um, to put in the banning of interstate transport. Um, So that's where that piece is. Um, And then the other part of it that's scary is they're changing it from a blacklist to a whitelist. And for people who don't know what that means, a blacklist is these are specific things that are bad and you can't have. And that's easy to understand. These things are bad. You can't have them. Here's why. A whitelist is there's millions and millions of species of plants and animals in the world. Here's the couple you can have. Everything that's not on this list automatically is considered injurious. And where that becomes a problem is it's almost impossible for them to list every single species. And if a new species is is discovered or something like that, it's automatically part of the do not, the cannot come in list. It's already part of the banned list. Um, And that includes species, not even just wild-caught animals or things that are brought in for trade. That includes you moving from another country and bringing your pet with you. Or um, the ability for zoos and, and conservation organizations to get different bloodlines of endangered species from zoos around the world. That completely stops all of that. Even, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if uh, in interstate it tends to be an issue as well, correct? Yeah, and that's what's going to, that is, it can be incredibly difficult. Right now where I live, I'm right on the border of Wisconsin and Illinois, and for my friends that live up in Wisconsin, um, right in on that side, if they want to come to my vet right across the border in Illinois and they had one of those species, um, that's injurious, then they can't. It's actually a federal, it's a felony offense uh, that can carry a fine of like 10, up to, I believe it's 25 years in prison and like a $10,000 fine or more um, just for taking your pet to the vet in a different state. Um, and, and, and the thing is, is that that animal, such as say a Burmese python, going from Wisconsin to Illinois is never going to do anything. There's zero chance of a, of a Burmese python uh, establishing in this part of the country or anything like that. And that's what makes this all kind of a little bit crazy, too, is we're putting na- uh, national laws about that, that, that only affect regional areas. Um, so, so speaking about the pythons, there's only five counties in the entire United States that they can establish. And those t- and it t- it's four counties in Florida and one in Texas. Um, and those states already have laws governing those animals. So it kind of, it, it kind of starts to get a little bit over the top and it starts to get overreaching when a lot of those things are broad stroked over every state in the entire country. And now everybody and everyone nationally has to follow the same law. Well, Ryan, I, and, and what I want to emphasize for, for the listener is that, um, you know, for those that are squeamish about reptiles, it includes fish, it includes reptiles, it includes birds, it includes small animals. Doesn't matter what it is. If it doesn't make the list, doesn't matter where it's from, how tropical it lives. Uh, it's on the injurious list um, if this passes. And and for the fish world, you know, we have uh, 
15 to 20,000 species of fish that are a possibility. That's the range. That's the domain or range. Uh, and um, to assume that uh, they're going to get it right and get the species of fish that are currently in trade on that list correctly is, is, is doubtful. And then also, you know, uh, just like reptiles, you know, fish are the same way. They, most of our fish are going to be tropical and they won't live in anywhere but, you know, down south where it's warm. And to assume that, that uh, uh, we can't have those animals here in Michigan, Ohio, even Tennessee, you know, you can go down quite a bit south and still find that these animals can't survive because of our winters. Uh, so it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's concerning. It's how it's interpreted. I don't think it's laid out well enough to even understand how it would be interpreted. So I just, I don't know that we're ready to, I think by next week, I think we will be ready to, um, you know, formulate uh, some you know, ways of action that uh, people can get involved in, in uh, but it will involve attach, uh, connecting up with your, your senators in this state at least and possibly the House of Representatives. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, for sure. Right now, where, where this is at, it's, it's past the point where organizations like U.S. Arc and PJAC and, and the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council, things like that, can, can really have a big impact. They have done what they can, and now it's up to us as all the listeners and pet owners around the country um, to reach out to our representatives, to send them emails, um, and to let them know that some of them, and, and I'll be honest, you may be the person that sends them the email that gets them to, to, to see that. Um, this this uh, this this piece of legislation is over three thousand pages, and we're talking about four. So this, four your, your representative may not even have even come across that yet, and you may be the one that actually alerts them to it. So it's really important that we we, we get a chance to reach out and do yeah. that. And uh, for those that are listening, um, I I believe that your the organization that you're most familiar with, U.S. Arc, which is basically a reptile hobbyist uh, network of um, you know those those who believe that reptiles should be pets are part of U.S. Arc. Um, yep. I also noticed that uh, certainly PJAC, you can look at that, and I, I know if you go to these different organizations, of which you know by next week we'll have listed on the on on our uh, Facebook. Okay, Lee. Um, but these are organizations that if you belong to, they're going to send some, you know, information out that can actually direct you in the right path. Yep, absolutely. And it's a good thing to check with those guys anyway, even if you're, you don't belong to them, just watch USR, PJAC, um, just to know what's going on and follow that kind of stuff, because you never know when a law might pop up near you. Um, and it's just good to be more aware of that stuff. I think as pet keepers, the more aware we can be, um, the more we can protect ourselves. Well, Ryan, I would say to simplify the whole thing for the public, the name George Carlin comes to mind. <laughs> and it's funny because most people don't think of George Carlin when it comes to this. But one of the things that made him famous is his seven dirty words. And there were seven words that were not allowed to be used on the radio or on television uh, without significant degree of impact. And so what the government did is said, okay, you can't use these seven dirty words. And thank goodness we can use the rest of the English language anytime <laughs> we want in order to discuss things in the media. 
Imagine the reverse. If they had said the only thing that you can use are these hundred words and every other word in addition to these seven dirty words, you can't use because we didn't think about them to make them famous. It's ridiculous. It is exactly the opposite approach. Yep, it's it's crazy. And the other part about that, that that's a little scary too is once they make that listing, once they do that, if you have a species or say let's say a zoo wants to bring in a new species. Now we have to sue the government in order to get and actually fight in court to get each species one by one put onto the white list. Well, that to me seems like an impossible situation. I can only imagine using my analogy if they had done that with words, imagine how filled the courts would be every day because someone said something and it wasn't on the list. Exactly. So what, another organization I was just looking up while you you, the, you were talking, um, the Federation of Aviculture, uh, the American Federation of Aviculture is evidently also um, working with, let's see, I've got uh, U.S. ARC, PJAC, and then uh, NAIA. Okay, Look no. up NAIA. <laughs> all right. And, and so there's a number of partners that are getting together, and that's the one thing that this could do is galvanize us as a as a pet community to really understand that, you know, our, our rights, our opportunity for pet ownership are definitely on the line, um, in this situation. And, and the only, and, and things aren't going to get better in, in time. We need to be stronger. So, well, imagine if they, they had said, forgot hamsters. Oh, yeah. hamsters can't be a pet that someone can have because it's yeah. not on the list. And, and, and I didn't think. Well, about it is it. certainly possible that there'd be a strain of hamster that could make a good pet that is no longer even possible. And there's no harm that's going to be done by a hamster. In fact, when we went through this here in Michigan, um, when it got right down to it for fish that they were concerned about, were pretty much, you know, we need to report goldfish and koi. You know, that's pretty much it, you know, because there was no real, for the entire trade, there were no other, in, you know, potentially concerning or injurious issues. And the reason why we still do goldfish and koi is that we've we've already, you know, we have goldfish and kois in our waterways that's, you know, it's past that point. But there were no other, after thinking about doing a whitelist and, you know, deliberating on this for two years, we came up with goldfish and koi. So... Um, yep. you know, which we already knew. And that's where a blacklist, if there's another animal that would be a potential concern, I don't know that a whitelist is ever going to help since every other animal that's in the state is okay at this point and hasn't caused any potential irre irreputable harm. And explain to me what law has ever been written that they did such a good job that they got everything right the first time and nobody had to go back mm -hmm. and try and fix something. Well, that's where this came about in Michigan is that yep. – uh, the, the people that would actually administer this whitelist idea here in Michigan weren't really consulted well enough to t understand whether or not this would be a potential issue. And as soon as it became a law, they the, the people that were handed the responsibility to administer it quickly learned at the DNR, this, this, can't, this can't work. We need to go another direction. And so we did. We did. We went another direction. But So why um, can't we learn from our past experience? Well, this is a federal situation. And, you know, are they going to listen to what's happened here in Michigan? Probably not. This is kind of a – this is an energy all to its own that uh, 
one, we have to ride the ride the Bronco horse, you know, and see where it ends. But um, but at least this point, and I think Ryan said it best, is that it's past the ability for lobbyist groups and representatives of our association and their association to make changes. The only way this is going to get changed collectively at this federal level is if enough senators hear from individuals that are concerned about the welfare and the opportunity to keep their pets. Can you give me an example of uh, something that belongs actually on the list that that actually makes sense to to not allow into the country? Is there a specific reptile that shouldn't be allowed? Um, to be totally honest, I don't think that there's any reptiles that make sense to be on the Lacey Act right now. Um, because the, even the large snakes that they have on there, again, they only have established in four counties in the United States, and both of those states are dealing with it individually. Outside of those five counties, there's not anywhere they can really establish. So it, that it, it's something that seems a lot more uh, suited for a state state-level government. Gotcha. You know, to- Brian, let me jump in because we need to take a quick break, but yeah. uh, we'll come back and talk about something a little more cheerful, like your new company, because this is something that's making me angry, and I don't want to be angry this morning. So we'll get back to our conversation with Brian McVeigh in just a moment here on 1320 WILS. Welcome back to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 9.30. 35 and we're back here with the mid-michigan pet expert talk show and we're talking this morning with ryan mcveigh who is a member of the madison wisconsin herpetological society and more importantly at least now i think in his mind he is the founder and the owner of vivtech products and ryan to keep me from getting in trouble we're going to shift the conversation over to a cheerful subject which is tell us about this new company that you and your wife have founded and are now operating what have you done and why have you done it yeah, so uh, so you guys have we've spoken in the past, and in the past I, I worked with Zilla, uh, which is a reptile product company in the U.S. that makes a ton of products that you see at pet stores. Um, and over time, uh, I, I just I found a different niche in the in the industry that wasn't being filled, and um, me and my wife kind of decided, you know what, we're going to fill it. So uh, we decided to get into reptile products ourselves, but looking at um, higher end products that are, are, are more for intermediate and expert level keepers, trying to push technology and husbandry forward. Um, and we started out with being, uh, which was pretty cool. We ended up being the first company, um, well, the first U.S. company to, to launch, uh, LED, uh, UV bulbs. Um, in the whole world, we we're the first ones to do it. So it was pretty cool. And, uh, it, it brings a really unique, a lot of technology in effect to um, being able to have these bulbs that last a lot longer. So instead of a six-month lifespan, they last they can last four years or longer. Um, let's back up a little bit because for the listening audience, your um, your personal journey started uh, from an engineer's perspective. Am I correct? Yeah. Yep. So I have a background in engineering, um, and actually, my my focus is uh, was HVAC plumbing and fire protection, which is all HVAC and and, and plumbing is water flow and heat transfer, and that's really all reptiles and fish tanks. And, and then my master's was in uh, wastewater treatment plant design. Sure. And wastewater treatment plants are really just giant fish tank filters. So <laughs> That's uh, one way to look at it. 
yeah, it all kind of it all kind of worked together weirdly to line me up into still my hobby. Now uh, I've been paying attention to the LED market for the longest of time because I felt that it was kind of the uh, the unicorn. Uh, the LED UV lights were kind of like hoped to be, but there were a number of scientific obstacles that would prevent there to be an appropriate, effective UV light, that it was difficult to produce UV with LEDs. And the way I was explained to it is that we're starting with the blue light instead of UV light, exciting the phosphors. And as a result, it makes it difficult to get UV out of an LED light. What, what changed? So basically, the, the way that the LEDs work and, and the way that they're able to 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 design them, they're you basically have two thin plates with the, with the, the electricity is charged and run through, and it creates that light. Now, based on the different perforations and the design that's on that plate, it'll change what type of wavelength that that LED gives off. Okay. Um, and, and they were able to work that out to do that to to be able to do LED or UV. Um, uh, uh, light waves, um, but yeah, it, it has to be in specific areas. And the, the thing that slowed it down for being able to use it with like with reptiles is more so that the light waves that we need for reptiles to synthesize D3 and calcium isn't used in a lot of other industries. So the technology, has, a lot of times for the pet industry, especially when it comes to reptiles, unfortunately, we really have to wait for other industries to make something popular or use enough that we can get the price down low enough to make it worthwhile for us to use. And that's really what slowed it down is there's just not a big industry driving that specific LED diode. Um, so they didn't become very popular and the price didn't come down for a really long time to make it feasible. Um, but recently that's changed. So we've been able to uh, get some stuff, some, some lights out there that are not as, as uh, incredibly expensive as they would have been say five years ago. So, Ryan, in addition to the fact that these lights will last longer, what is the benefit to me and to my reptile? What exactly is it that this is bringing into their world that's making it better? Uh, And why should we jump in and get involved with this? So one thing, a lot, of, a lot of reptile keepers know the UVB, and we talk about UVB and how important it is, and that's because it's directly related to, to, to D3 synthesis and the use of calcium in their body, which is used for their nervous system, their bone growth. Uh, it's incredibly important to all of the pieces of their, of their, of their biology. Um, so, and if they don't have UVB, a lot of reptiles will end up slowly dying. Um, so that's something that we're aware of as keepers that's incredibly important. Uh, and this and this light has that just like all other UVB lights do. But the biggest difference with this one is the UVA spectrum. And UVA uh, doesn't have a, a physical effect on animals, so you don't see it as much. But people don't know as much about UVA because of that. But it's actually incredibly important. Um, it, it involves uh, – it, it, it helps with the development of serotonin in the animal's brains. So how they feel more natural, more natural behavior. Um, we could, you could sort of look at it as they kind of live their life with seasonal depression if they don't have access to this UVA light. Um, and that's actually what seasonal depression is. If you buy those seasonal depression lights that you can get, um, like those mood lights, they're actually UVA lights. Um, so that's actually something that affects our brains as well. It's the same reason that if you walk outside on a sunny day, you feel happier than on a cloudy day. 
that's the direct effect of UVA on your brain, and it affects our reptiles like that as well. They can also see it, so they can see those UVA spectrums, and they see they see a wavelength of light that we can't see or even comprehend how it looks, and then we're also keeping them uh, without that section of their vision, so we're sort of keeping them colorblind. So how they interact with their world, uh, their natural behaviors, all of that has a lot to do with the UVA spectrum, and when you use uh, the, the VivTech bulbs, they ha- it has a much wider, fuller UVA spectrum than any other bulb. It's a lot closer to natural sunlight, so you'll actually see more niche naturalistic behaviors out of your animal. That's really, really incredible to see. Now, the one thing that you mentioned, and I kind of want to push back on it a little bit, you had mentioned that you've designed this company and your product lines to be more for the intermediate and advanced hobbyists, but a reptile doesn't know how advanced or lack thereof their owners are. And it would seem to me that it would just be natural if you're just getting into the hobby. If you have to buy a bulb, why not buy your bulb? What's the there's there's no what's the downside? Yeah, what's the downside to that? <laughs> there isn't one whatsoever. And everything that we do, we kind of try and I try and look at it this way. I have more knowledge on reptiles than I think I could ever put out into the world. So I try to take that and look at the products we're creating and put that knowledge into it um, and make sure that we're creating something that is really, really well done, that works really well, and is the best thing that we can put out technology-wise at the time. Um, And But we also want anyone that uses it to be successful. So really it could be for any entry-level person will be able to use any of our products and be just as successful, but they may not understand all of the unique pieces of why it works so well. Um, versus your your intermediate and expert level people will, will get a little bit more knowledge of the products we're using um, and the background to it, but they'll be just as effective at using it as, the, as an entry-level person would be. And I think uh, for the listener, I just want to go back a little bit. When, when you were working um, with Zilla, um, I have that right, don't I? I sometimes yep. get the companies mixed up. But when you were working with Zilla, uh, we went and um, – uh, you had demonstrated um, bulb A, bulb B in, a, in measuring the amount of UV light that it was emitting. And two bulbs that looked completely normal and um, accepted by the trade, they had the same exact look to them, the same kind of appearance in glass. They were all both curved, um, you know, curly Q power compacts, um, and they were like, you read the package, it all just seemed the same, right? They were just identical for everything when you were looking at it from a marketing standpoint. So then he took, uh, Ryan took and opened them out of the boxes, both the Zilla product and the other brand, and he put it into a fixture and got his meter out. It was, you know, a meter to measure UV light. And the amount of difference in UV light and therefore the potential harm that one would be made if it didn't have this much UV light was like night and day. You had one bulb that when you you shined it, it had 10 or 20 units of UV light, whatever the units are of which you will know the technical term. And then we went outside and we measured how much was outside and it was 200 to 300. And then we opened the other bulb, or maybe already had, and measured it. And it was the Zilla bulb at that time. And it was two to 300, you know, units of light, whatever that unit is, which you'll tell me in just a minute. Uh, but um, it was 
truly eye-opening. And so when you left Zilla, you know, um, I'm, I was just curious as ever to follow your path because, you know, yes, Zilla helped us learn a lot that day, but also you helped open our eyes. And, you know, we continue to carry Zilla products and we also now are interested in carrying your products. We're going to have to take a break, yeah. uh, but we're going to come back. Tune back in in just a minute. Right here on 1320 WILS. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we're speaking this morning with Ryan McVeigh, who is the founder and owner of a company called VivTech Products. And Rick, you were setting up a question for Ryan just before the break. Do you have anything you want to add to that before no, Ryan answers? You know, I just want Ryan to respond to you know, his intentions in this industry. And uh, I just wanted to tip my hat towards, you know, the extra effort and energy took back then to kind of open my eyes as to, you know, products that might look the same on the shelf aren't necessarily the same when you open that clamshell. So, Ryan, please share. <laughs> Absolutely. So, first of all, the, the, the unit you were looking for was microwatts per square centimeter. So that's the actual measurement that we use to, that's the units we measure UVB in. And it's basically a power, think about it, the power of the sun over us, over an area. That's how we measure it. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> that, but when it comes to like my journey and stuff, really everything that I've done has really been about trying to get better products out there and better, better opportunities for people to care, to do better by their pets. I mean, we, I think the, the industry has been kind of funny in the fact that, when we started as a as a pet hobby, especially with reptile, we we started out with in the in the seventies when somebody found a lizard and they thought it was cool and they said, well, I think this would be neat to to play with inside and and interact with. So they got a fish tank which was made out of a, you know, the glass from a pizza store in downtown Milwaukee, and and they and they put that and they put a screen top on it and you know they and slowly over time we kind of continued to add things to the habitat until the animal did better and lived longer and, and we understood their husbandry a little better. Um, and now we're so far ahead technology-wise, but I'm not, I, I never saw, I haven't seen the pet industry keep up with the technology, not on the reptile side especially. Like fish and stuff and aquatics, man, the, the lighting that they've done and the, the technology and some of the marine and saltwater stuff is incredible. Um, and we haven't seen that same thing happen in reptile. And that's where I kind of wanted to bring some of that, into it and, and really get a lot of that husbandry back into it and get really looking at realistic ha habitats for the animals and trying to really go back to how these animals live in the wild and how we can more uh, we can better represent that in captivity and I think we've 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 gone a, a, the wrong direction trying to just put little pieces back in until they did better and I think we're missing major chunks of their habitat. Um, and their husbandry, just because we kind of look at it as the bare minimum to keep the animals going. Um, so now we have the opportunity to do better, and I thought that would be a cool way to start out with VivTech is to kind of push the boundaries of what we can do and, and, and really bring in more naturalistic husbandry to these animals. And the other part of it, too, is and Rick is probably seen a lot of the things that I've done, is conservation things like that are, are important to me and my wife as well. Um, so 5% of... of of the uh, money made by VivTech gets donated to in-situ conservation efforts. 
Um, and 5% actually is donated to like US ARC and other organizations like that to help save the pet industry. Um, but actually, so when you click out on our, when you check out on our website, it'll actually allow you to pick which conservation organization you want your donation to go to. Well, that sounds fantastic. Um, do you, uh, the one question I have on the UV before we move forward, because I'd like to hear ideas of what, what's on the horizon, um, does the one is the UV light? Has it proven to hold the test of time in fluorescent lights? I know um, what's what's there today is gone within six six months or a year, even if the light stays lit. Uh, as far as UV light, how does that differ in LEDs, or is there some concern in that respect? And then, lastly, is is this something that you have? specifically patented or is this going to be like motherships sailing forward with lots of ships behind you? <laughs> so um, for the longevity of the light, fluorescent and mercury vapor, metal halide, other things like that last between six months and a year. Fluorescent is usually about six months before you have to replace it. Um, for the LEDs, they, as long as the LED is on and working, we haven't seen a great enough reduction for you to need to replace it over the lifespan of the bulb. So it does degrade, but not not enough to need to be replaced. And that at 12 hours a day, it'll last you about four and a half years. Um, and our bulbs come with a two-year warranty. So that's four times longer than the lifespan of the other bulbs. And that's just to get to our warranty. Um, so there's that. And then as for what's coming up next, this is just the tip of the iceberg, Rick. There's a lot of other amazing things we're looking at how to get UV LEDs into different scenarios, things like um, racks for breeding situations where there's large breeding scenarios where we can get that better lighting into those animals and help um, really it improve their life, the, the, the way that they're kept in their life while they're, while they're producing more cuts for us in the industry. Uh, and then also uh, we're looking at some Wi-Fi technology stuff. So within the next couple months here, we're, we're going to launch – um, an app along with uh, a lot of different controls and things like that so you can interact with and control your pet's environment from anywhere. Now, the one thing I remember in talking to you is you have very strong connections with the the zoo uh, world, AZA, and, uh, and the various zoo networks of individuals that have reptariums in their, as their exhibits. Where are they going with your technology and have you had an opportunity to influence their decisions on what they put in their environments? Oh, absolutely. Some zoos are actually already working with our bulbs. Um, and then we are currently working on some kind of top secret stuff, but I'm working on some stuff to help the zoos as well. Um, potentially some lights that'll be able to uh, project UV up to eight feet. Yeah. And that's always a big problem is, uh, you know, every time you double the distance of a light source, you quadruple its loss. So uh, getting eight feet away is a real marvel when it comes to providing appropriate lighting. It's not the six to 12 inches away that's in a, in a fish tank or a reptile aquarium um, that you would get. So that, that would be, that would make sense, would be a potential issue. Now, is there any harmful effect, the uh, people listening in, obviously we don't want too much UV light that affects us. What's our tolerance as people uh, with UV light? Well, really when it comes to UV for us, I mean, a good 15 minutes a day outside for us is all we need. And, and after that, depending on the strength of the sun, you could get a sunburn, but 15 minutes is about all we need. But um, <laughs> with the 
strength of it, you can overdo UV when it comes to your animals, but it's very, very difficult. And with our bul- the bulbs that we have, the nice thing about the LEDs is you really design in the wavelengths you want the LED to have. So anything you don't want, it, you just don't design the LED to project. Um, so all of the shortwave UVB and UVC that's detrimental that can come out of um, fluorescent lights and other lights, there's small bits of that wavelength. Um, that that does not happen with the LEDs, which is nice. So while it is possible possible for you to overdo it, uh, if the animal can't get away from the light, it's in a small cage, and you leave it on 24-7 and never let them get away from it, that can be really bad. But the nice thing with spotlights is, is that because it's a concentrated spot, as long as they can get away from it, those animals will regulate their UV independently, um, and they can actually kind of regulate it themselves as long as we give them that opportunity to move away from it and get out of the light. Now, now the reason, uh, the, the type of fixture that this is going to need is a similar fixture to what might be just available on the market today uh, for this yep, first round of lights? Yep, just a normal screw-in bulb. They're really, really small, so they actually fit really well in some of the nanodomes that are out there and smaller types of fixtures. Um, because they don't get hot at all, they're LED, they don't produce any, almost any heat, um, mm-hmm. and they're low wattage, you can really use any fixture. You don't even need a special ceramic or anything like that. So, Ryan, I was going to ask you, is there any heat impact to this whole thing for maintaining temperature for the animals, or yeah. uh, is that something that they need to continue to get from an alternate source? Yep, there's no heat with the LEDs, and LEDs actually don't like heat. So that's the only thing that stops our warranty is you can't use them in a dual dome or a combo dome that has both two that has two fixtures in it. Sure. Because if you put that next to a heat light, it's going to burn out the LEDs really, really quick. However, um, because they're so small, they can fit in almost anything. It's really easy to add them to a small fixture next to your heat light. Um, and I suggest uh, halogen, like halogen floodlights are great lights for adding heat. Uh, they're ec- they're economical. Um, they're ec- really efficient. They last a little bit longer. And the infrared spectrum that they put out actually uh, complements our bulb really well, as well as helping penetrate the animal's skin a lot better. Well, Ryan, I would love to continue the conversation, but we're about out of time. So if anyone is interested in your company, your new technology, uh, where should they go to get that information? Definitely check us out online at viztechproducts.com, and you can also find Viztech Products on Facebook and Instagram. And at your next reptile show that you see us, we'll be at the Tinley Park Reptile Show coming up this next month in Tinley Park. Illinois. And uh, you have some inventory coming our way, is that correct? Yes, you guys should, actually, you should have them in stock right now. All right, I'll go check our shelves. So, Bruce Pets, <laughs> you can check them out there. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We've been speaking with Ryan McVeigh, who is the founder of VivTech Products, and good luck in terms of getting the government straightened out, although uh, that may be a fool's errand. Well, we'll do what we can. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. We appreciate it. And Rick, uh, we're all done for this week. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, and my co-host in the studio, Rick Bruce, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend and a great week ahead. We'll talk again next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Meantime, please, please take good care of your pets and have a great week.